Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, hey, guys, welcome to the happy hour. I'm so glad you're here. We have a great show in store for you today. But before we get to the show, I want to give a shout out to Pine Cove, where all of my kids are this week. Not only do Aaron and I have a kid-free week, but we also are sending our kids to a place that we super love. If you're looking for a camp, check out Pine Cove Christian Camps. They're here in Texas, and they actually have a new location, I believe, in South Carolina. But we go to the one here in Texas, and so check it out. You guys, okay, I told you about this last week. I don't know if you remember or if you even heard me, but we are building a church. Yes, you and me together with our dollars, we're building a church. So we're not doing it with the hammer and the nails and the wood, but we're doing it with our finances. I'm partnering with an organization that goes to local churches who are actually functioning as a church, but they just don't have a building. So we're partnering with them to go into the village of Karuma in northern Uganda, who they've been functioning as a church for over 30 years. Their pastor's been there forever. They are functioning as a church. They just don't have a church building. And so we want to take that burden off of them and help them with the building. They have the land. They have the workers. We want to help them get the supplies. So if you're interested in donating any amount, $5, $50, $20, some of you can donate $100, go to jamieivy.com slash build a church. And it'll take you straight to the webpage for ICM, which is the global church developer that we're partnering with. And it'll take you straight there where you can donate. And we're trying to raise $15,000 this summer. I think we can do it. So let's do it together. Friends, we have a great show today. My friend, Chris Kane, is here. Christine Kane is a sought-after international speaker. I love her so much. She's an author. She's an activist. She's known for her ability to effectively communicate a message of hope. And Chris has a heart for reaching the loss, for strengthening leadership, and for championing the cause of justice. In fact, with her husband, Nick, she founded the anti-human trafficking organization, the A21 Campaign. Chris and Nick live in Southern California with their daughters, and we talk about one of them is heading off to college soon. I can't even believe it. Today, we spend a lot of time talking Talking about Chris's new book, which just released yesterday. It's called How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away. You guys, this book is really great. I highly recommend you go get it. She covers eight different topics of what might be pulling us away. Kind of like, you know, when you've drifted, when you stop trusting and you start controlling, or you know, when you've drifted, when you stop praying and you start talking. We talked through some of those today, and it is a very important conversation to have because to go along with the analogy of drifting, The currents are changing so much in our culture and so much is coming at us that Chris and I both are saying, hey, we got to figure out where are we going to stand on these things? And our anchor has to be only in Jesus Christ or else we're going to drift. You guys, it's a great show. Check out our book, How Did I Get Here? Wherever you get books and help us build a church in Northern Uganda. Go to jamieivy.com slash build a church. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Chris Kane. Hey, Chris, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie, I'm fired up to be with you. Well, this is fun. And I should say welcome back to the happy hour because you were here three years ago, May of 2018. So it's not like a few things have happened in our lives since May of 2018. It seems like three lifetimes ago. Three lifetimes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, in all seriousness, three years ago. What's the difference in your life? And and we'll I don't need anything like major, like spiritual, but just like you're graduating a kid this year. I mean, three years ago, that was even on the horizon. What's happening in your life? I, well, hello, and um, but I'm loving it. So my eldest 
well, graduated yesterday. And so I'm, I, she's beautiful. I love this season. I've had this great time with her. And I've, that's a big thing for us yeah. because, you know, especially here in America, this is like a deal. <laughs> in this, and then like you send kids to colleges. I'm like, in Australia, it's awesome. Like they go to college from your house. They come home every day. Oh, and it's so- not like you don't go away to college. No, what is this? So, you know, that is going to be the bigger issue for me. Like we get through summer and I'm like, I cannot believe that a child that is this age leaves and goes to college. Nothing against children that are that age, but they're just, their brain's not fully formed. I mean, they just haven't lived life and yet we send them out. Well, exactly. And apart from all of that, I'm not ready to depart her for her to depart. So yes, it is all about her, but it's also all about me. Okay. Does she know where she's going or do you want to say, or is it secret? Yeah, she's going to go to Pepperdine. So she's really, really fired up. She's going to do business. She's a great, great girl. But you know, I don't know how ready I am about this going to college. Well, I'm a year behind you. So my son's going to be a senior this year. And I already am anxious about him going to college because like you, Aaron and I are saying, we like this kid. Like, and right when we start to like him, he's got to leave. <laughs> exactly. And I, I say to Catherine, you know, I, you don't have a better setup than here. Right. <laughs> and, and we're all very close. And, the, you know, the one bit of silver lining from here has been that I haven't been able to travel overseas. So we've never been together as much as mm-hmm. we all are now. And we're like, we're really our favorite people to hang out with is each other. So, you know, we're a really tight family. I mean, how kind of God, though, the last year that you have with her, not that we are like thankful for this pandemic by any means, but we can see the ways that God has shown up in it. And you got to have that time with her and your family. I love that. Yeah, that's what we say. We're all like, you know, in terms of, of course, we're not minimizing the pain and mm-hmm. the grief and the loss for people. But but the one bit of silver lining is that, you know, we will never get this year back again and that we got to be together every day was just like, that was the gift of the year. The gift of the year. I love that. Okay, Chris, you have a book that just released yesterday. In fact, it's called How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away. Now, I just want to say this up front is I've read the book. It's amazing, wonderful. Everyone should grab it. But I do want to say this. I found this book to speak to me in my time right now, but I also read it and thought there have been so many seasons that I have been here before. And so my question to you to start out with is what led you to write this book? Because I know writing books comes from an overflow of what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're reading, what you're learning, all the things. So unfortunately, it feels like this book for you is of a really hard season. Can you talk about it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking it was kind of the overflow of, of like a perfect storm, mm. uh, for want of a better phrase. You know, it. I don't know if you remember, Jamie, that kind of towards the end of 2016, 2017 was a pretty volatile time period anyway. (laughs) And, you know, maybe you might have slept through it, but there was a lot going on. (laughs) And so there was lots of currents shifting everywhere, politically, socially, morally, environmentally. I mean, the whole world was kind of shifting. And then I had my 50th birthday, great big celebration, whole bunch of friends came home and here's like 26 missed calls from one of my brothers in Australia and to tell me that my mum had died that night, which was deeply impactful for me. And in that period, in the uh, like a three or four month period, my sister-in-law, who was my age, 
died in Australia. One of my husband's sisters died in Australia. One of my husband's brother-in-laws died in Australia. And I think with my mum, that kind of triggered up things to do with, you know, my adoption, abandonment, all, all the things. So, and then you've got all of this loss, a whole lot of volatility happening 2016, 2017, generally. And when you're any kind of public figure at all, especially during times of chaos and divisiveness and upheaval, you know, there's always a lot of things happening. There's one group of people that think you're saying, you're not saying enough about something. Mm. Or then there's another group of people that are thinking, you're saying too much about something. Right. And then there's, you're waking up every day going, who am I going to disappoint today? And I don't even know what I'm going to disappoint them about. So there's- That is the worst feeling, Chris. Don't you think? It's uh. like, honestly, I'm like going seriously, you know, I'm supposed to have made comments about things I didn't even know happened. Right. Or didn't and I'm like, oh my word. So that is going on. You're navigating that pressure while things are shifting so dramatically mm. anyway. And then, you know, we run a large global organization. We've got A21 in 15 countries around the world. We've got three churches in three other countries. So you've got staff in 18 countries. You've got the stuff that just goes on with leading something of that magnitude. And then, you know, on a personal level, a, a friend, someone that was a dear friend of mine, just, you know, really, really deeply, deeply wounded me. And in the Psalms, you know, David said, if it was my enemy that was against me, mm. it would have been okay. But when it was my friend that was, that I used to go to the house of God with, you know, it would have cut deeply. So what you have is this perfect storm internally happening in me and it was just like you know what everything is shifting so dramatically everything's going on and this one night Nick was watching this video you know this Netflix series mm -hmm. on the Navy Steels on Hell Week and the whole goal of that Hell Week is to ring the bell and just go you know they try to break you down emotionally and physically and there was this one scene Jamie and they dropped these guys out of the helicopter into the freezing cold Pacific Ocean they had to swim a few miles to shore and then do all of these things that they had to do, except they, you know, have barely eaten or slept for a week and they're feeling weak. But I said to Nick, I start crying during this scene, which is so unlike mm -hmm. me, so unlike me. And I said, I think this is how I feel if I had to explain how I felt spiritually. Wow. I said, I feel like I've been dropped out of a helicopter into the freezing cold ocean. And here's the deal. I know I can do this. I know I can do the assignment. I know I'm not going to die. I know that I've got the strength and the tenacity and the resilience. I know I can do this. And as I'm crying and I said to him, but for the first time in 30 years of following Jesus, I don't know if I want to. Wow. And for those words to come out of my mouth, mm -hmm. because, you know, I've had many times in my 30 plus years where I've gone, I don't know if I can, man, am I, I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm gift, you know, yeah. I've had many, I don't know if I can do it. I had never had a, I don't really know if I want to keep going like this. Now, it was not a matter of, you know, I want to walk away from the Lord or from church or anything like that. Although there was a lot of that going on as well. Like, you know, every yeah. other day someone's posting something right. of, you know, drifting away from their faith or from church or from their marriage or from, you know, pick the drift. It yeah. was whatever it is. It's like you're going. So it wasn't that. It was like, I just think I might take my foot off the gas a little bit mm. and not press so hard, you know, maybe go buy a taverna in Santorini and just serve people baklava and Greek coffee and talk about Jesus one-on-one -on -one to people and just kind of, you know, take my foot off the gas. And I remember saying to him specifically, Jamie, I said, you know, the deal is I've got so much momentum after 30 years of following Jesus and we're doing so much around the world that no one would probably even notice for 10 years that I took my foot off the gas mm. because there's just so much momentum. And then through my tears, I just went, but Jesus would know that I didn't press on to the end that I, you know, not that I went and did anything crazy, but I just didn't keep pressing to the end. And that was out of that when I turned to Nick and I went, 
how did I get here? Yeah. Like, how did I get to this place where I would even contemplate being, you know, I'm I'm always front lines. <laughs> let's right. go do this. You know, let's go rescue slaves. Let's go empower women. Let's reach the lost. You know, I'm all, and I am that. But there was this internal pressure and the currents were shifting so radically that I was like, I don't know if I'm up to keep going like this. And it wasn't a matter of like I'm um, overwork or doing too much. That wasn't the issue. It was an issue of my heart, of just drifting from purpose and drifting from a desire of going, do I really want to be all in at this level? Because mm. this is really costly yeah. at this level. Yeah. And the way things are shifting in society, it's going to be increasingly costly mm. to stay at this level you know, no matter what, whichever way you want to slice this up. And then I'm in the book of Hebrews. And of course, in Hebrews chapter two, the writer to the Hebrews during the time when, you know, the Jewish Christians were being so persecuted, they were losing their homes, they were, you know, losing their families, and they just wanted to go back because it's like, man, it's a bit easier to go back. And he said, you know, let us also pay much closer attention, lest we too drift from so great a salvation. And that really became the thread of the book that, you know, you can be on the front lines like me and I'm not looking to backslide or go and do anything really massively, you know, whatever, but you could still drift Mm. in your heart. Or as we're seeing nonstop in so many different segments of the church, people just drifting out of church, drifting out of faith, you know, and all you have to do, my dad used to say to me, we go swimming in Australia. There was this one beach, man, the riptide, the undertow was so strong. And dad would put this huge beach umbrella up and, you know, whole bunch of beach towels and he'd spread them out and he'd say, kids, before you go out into the water, I need you to look up regularly and check your markers. Mm. Check that you're between the beach towels and that you're between the beach umbrellas. If you don't, whether you realize it or not, the undertow is so strong. The currents are always changing. If you don't check your markers, you are going to drift. And I'll, I'll never forget, Jamie, he used to go, all you have to do to drift is nothing. This is my whole point that in our life, whether it's in your health, your fitness, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your friendships, your spiritual life, your church, you don't even have to go do something bad and go, oh my gosh, I've blown it. Do nothing and you will drift because the currents in our world are shifting so frequently Mm -hmm. and so dramatically that if you and I are not checking our markers and if our anchor is not deeply embedded in Christ, Mm we are going to drift. And I don't care if you've grown up in church all your life and have a quiet time every day. (laughs) We are going to drift. Yeah. I mean, you say in the book, you said, here's what I came to understand. We can be doing all the right Christian things, saying all the right Christian words, but just like the followers of Hebrews that you just read, we can be adrift and drifting still further. And then you list out a bunch of reasons. And I think, you know, I was telling someone the other day, Chris, I, I did a podcast with oh, your friend, that uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, which is coming out soon. And I did a podcast with her and I told her, I said, you know what? Here's the deal. The reason I want to have these conversations with you about some hard, deep topics are not for the people who are like, they have left church, they have left maybe a biblical worldview of something and not for the people who are very, very strong in their convictions. But really, I want to have these conversations for the people who are not thinking about this. And it makes me think what you're thinking about is like to drift, you just do nothing. And so my question for you now is there are so many things in our culture that are pulling people into these, you know, tides, like to keep going with your analogy. And you're saying, make the markers, make the markers. What does that look, look like practically for I'm speaking to the woman here that's like, I don't really know what I think about this. But to me, and you can tell me if I'm putting words into your mouth, I think the I don't really know what I think about this is when you start drifting. Well, absolutely. Because the fact is you're going to be hit in the face Mm -hmm. with 
something, with some big wave. And because you don't know what you think about it, you're not going to know how to respond to it. And then often we will respond out of our emotions or out of a misguided empathy, sympathy, compassion, whatever that might be. And it's actually not biblical. It's actually not God honouring. It has come as a result because I don't know what I think. And I think to a degree, some of this is what happened to me sort of into 2017. People were wanting me to comment about a whole lot of stuff. And I'm like, I've not thought about these things with any depth. And I cannot become an expert on something. I really, this is what made me put my anchor down deeper. And I'm like, Chris Kane, you have been following Jesus Christ for 30 years. Our world is shifting. And part of this is why I went to Wheaton and I'm doing, you know, an evangelism and leadership masters because I'm like, I need to know what I think and why I think it. Because I'm 55 years old this year and I have not had to think about certain things because things that my 15-year-old daughter and 19-year-old daughter are having to contend with now did not exist in my day. Right. So, of course, I didn't think about it because it was not in my worldview. And I went, you know what? Suddenly, everyone is wanting me to have an opinion about everything, but I don't know. I I went back to school because I'm like, y'all, I need to know what currents are shifting. I need to know what the Bible says. I need to know how to think about these things because if I do nothing... Mm. And I just ride the momentum of my last 30 years. I Not only am I going to drift, I'm in a position where I can cause a lot of people to drift. Oh, and isn't that scary? Absolutely. 100% yeah. I feel the weight of that yeah. responsibility for the Lord. Yeah, yeah. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Well, in this book, different chapters cover like, you know, you've drifted when, and then you go through, you know, eight different things. And I was like, okay, like I can relate to all of these things, but I want to talk about this one. It was the very first one you talked about. You said, you know, you've drifted when you stop trusting and you start controlling. And you talk a lot about this whole place that our minds go 
of the what ifs. Oh, yeah. What if we get a divorce? What if I can't pay for school? What if the stock market falls? What if, what if, what if? And how have you combated that? Because I don't think that is something that is just people are immune to. I think we all struggle with this at some points in our life. And so what does that look like for you to, to fight that battle? Yeah, that's a daily battle for me. I'm smiling as you're asking me that because you as a number six mm. have no issue with what ifs, do you? Oh, you! I got all the what ifs. <laughs> I got all the answers, all the answers too. Like this literally is my life. <laughs> well, I thought of that when you started this. I thought, um, no doubt this is why you picked all of this. Because you come up with what ifs that I haven't even thought of. There's time I think I have conversations with you and I'm like, Jamie Ivy, how did you even think of that what if? Like, this is what Aaron says to me all the time. He's like, I've never actually thought of that. And I'm like, well, that's exactly. why God gave you me because I'm going to think <laughs> yes. about it for us both. <laughs> I believe that in my friendship with you, there have been numerous those. I'm like, You're, the, the mind of a six is fascinating yep. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that what if especially with my background of, you know, abuse and abandonment, you can get into that obsessive rumination and that treadmill where you're playing out the future in order to protect yourself, you know, and to have this, it's not real, but you think you're controlling things if you've played out every scenario and got every contingency plan. And, you know, that's, and it's an exhausting way to live. And what it actually is, is a sign that you're not trusting God. And at the end of the day, the children of Israel died in the wilderness because they no longer believed God. They didn't Mm. trust God. So that what if thing for someone like me is, well, this is why I'm in the word. It's not like, oh, I'm going through my religious obligation. I'm having a quiet time today. It is life and death for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is to this day. I am 30 odd years into my faith walk. And renewing my mind daily, Mm -hmm. daily by, you know, being immersed in the word of God, whether it's listening to it, you know, whether it's reading it, whatever it takes, listening to sermons, I have to continually renew my mind because I always say I'm only one thought away Mm. of thinking back how I used to think and, and spiraling out of control. And so to trust God when you can't trace him and to trust what you do know about God above what you don't know about the future, I think that's the faith walk. Because our what if is always, man, I don't know, and I don't know, and what if this, and what if that, and what? I have to stop that, like press the stop on that tape recorder. That's how old I am. Uh You all don't know what a tape recorder (laughs) is, but you press stop button and begin to say, Chris, this is what you do know about God. You know that Psalm 119 says that God is good and God Mm. does good. You know that um, your God is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You know he's Mm going to work all things, even the bad things, together for his glory and for your good. Chris, you know, like I'll I'll begin to say, and then I'll say to the Lord, I'm trying to make it practical for people. Okay, I don't know. I actually really don't know how this is going to play out in the future. But I do know that you're good. Mm -hmm. And I will say this out loud. So, God, I'm going to put what I do know about you above what I don't know about the future. It's so good. And I, you know, all joking aside about being an Enneagram 6, that really is something that we struggle with is this fear. We see the world through a lens of fear. And I remember years ago, I think I've told this story on here. I was telling a friend, I was like, man, I'm just really fearful of one of my kids getting cancer. And that's just always been a thing for me. And and she looked at me and she said, well, let's play it out all the way. She's like, take it all the way chemo, cancer, take it all the way to death. And she said, what do you still know to be true about God? And I listed a bunch of things and it almost makes, it gets me teary. I'd ever think time I think about that because I remember that moment going, God is still good. He is still faithful. 
He is still for me. He is still on his throne. He has not left me. And that little practice has been so beautiful for me because it's kind of like what you talk in the book, like even if I'll still trust God, even if I'm still going to trust him. And for me, I can go, even if the worst thing I could possibly imagine happens, God, I still believe God's good because I believe his word. I still believe he's faithful because that's his character. I still, you know, I fill in the blank. It's been so good for me as someone who actually struggles with this a whole, whole lot. I would say right here is where we're hitting on the essence of the faith walk. And I think what has happened, we've come out of a global pandemic. It's been a brutal four or five years. This is a sign of Christian maturity where we've gone deeper with God and we have as an anchor for our soul. Sign of maturity is when you move from a what if faith to an even if faith. And dare I go one step further to an even when faith, Mm. because some of us, have the even if has happened (laughs) like last year a lot of people was like well okay I lost my job I lost that dream that business thing went down you know the Mm -hmm. the even if happened and for others it even went to another level of even when Mm -hmm. like as in okay there was death and loss and grief at a whole nother level and the Lord's like okay So has your faith come to this place where you still believe Mm. that I am your hope, (laughs) that I am your peace, that I am your joy? And I would say the lesson of the last few years for all of us is that nothing else holds. The book of Mm. Hebrews says only those things that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken shall remain. And the truth is all of us have gone through a shaking Mm. that we probably never even imagined was was possible. And we're sitting here a little bit like, okay, the world's sort of slowly opening again. And we're like, okay, there's been a shaking. There's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of revealing. There's been so many things happening. And you go, what holds? And what holds is Jesus. And at the end of the day, the whole metaphor of drifting is going, honey, this is the bottom line, that there is only one hope we have, that anchor is Jesus. Yeah. That, that's the bottom line. And um, my friend Alan Hirsch uses the phrase uh, re-Jesus. If, if you were to ask, when people say, you know, Chris, what's the last season's been about? I'm like, honey, Jesus is re-Jesusing his mm. church. It's just like, it's all about Jesus. Yeah. And I think that was really, and it doesn't matter if you're frontline leader or if you've only known Jesus for 25 seconds, all of us have gone to this place where it's like, okay, are you legit? Is is this about Jesus? Is your anchor Jesus? And what links in your chain that have connected you to the anchor have either fallen apart, fallen off or gotten rusty? And I think that's what's been revealed in all of this time is that, and a lot of us that were actually almost just go through the motion Christians got hit by a whole lot of waves And Jesus is like, you know, we're checking our anchor right now. We're really, the anchor will hold, but you better be connected to that anchor. And I think what what some of us have discovered is maybe we weren't as securely connected to the anchor, Uh Jesus, who is our hope, Uh than we thought we were. Yeah. You know, Chris, one thing that I love about you and I always value so much in our friendship is you live here in America, but you didn't grow up here. You're Australian and Greek, and but you travel the world. I mean, you have yeah. offices everywhere. You see the global church. You're my friend that sees the most of the global church in my life. And so it's always an encouragement to me. And even this conversation about the moving from a what if to an even if, it makes me wonder, and I think you can speak on this in a really profound way because of your experience. Do you see the struggle to move from a what if faith to an even if faith around the world? Or do you see that mostly in a North American context? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I do see it mostly here because mm-hmm. I'll give you just an example that everyone's going to relate to because we've all just been in this pandemic. So, you know, day one, we're in March 2020, this pandemic, the whole world shuts down. Yeah. So I've got offices in, you know, the Ukraine, in Cape Town, in Mexico City, in Sofia, Bulgaria, in Thessaloniki, Greece, in Cambodia, in Bangkok. So when we have, um, we basically said this whole year we would have our whole global staff on Zoom. And we've got a couple of hundred people, you know, in all of these 18 countries around the world. So every day I've got everyone on my screen. So I don't have just America, you know, on my screen. I've got all of these country directors and we would call it the upper Zoom. So we would have our upper Zoom room meetings, Mm -hmm. you know, like the upper room Uh in X. And while I would, it would be so funny listening to some of the directors in American offices. And these were people that could leave their homes. Mm -hmm. They could go to places, you know what I mean? And just, we've got people in countries that had six adults in a two-bedroom apartment in Sofia, Bulgaria, and they could not leave. Mm -hmm. We're talking for months at a time, could not leave their house without, you had to text the local police And then one of the local police officers, when it was your allotted time, would come to escort one person that could leave the house a week to go to the grocery store to come back. There was no daily walk around the park. There was no nothing. And this was the... Our Ukrainian director was like, you know, it was interesting. They live uh, very close to Chernobyl, some of their staff. You know, remember there was that big... Yes. uh, Okay. Yeah. We watched it. We've got this... We've got this global pandemic. People are complaining because they, you know, have to wear a mask. And then I've got my Ukraine team on the sort of morning update. Yes, yes, there's been another leak of Chernobyl. And there's been like, like as if it's this normal thing, but you know, God's good. And we've seen these miracles. Right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm cracking myself up because I'm going, if people could just hear this, like what is going on and the joy of this. So our teams in in Warsaw, Poland and Sofia, Bulgaria and the Ukraine were full of faith and hope. And the people that had the most mobility and the most Mm. access to everything were thinking, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. And I thought, oh wow, when you're around some people that have really been through some suffering. And I just remember doing this teaching going, okay, to a degree we're all like prisoners right now, like every, everyone's in lockdown across yeah. the world. This is like, you know, and yet Zechariah chapter 9 says, you know, return to your stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Mm-hmm. And I said, so we cannot choose the fact that we are prisoners. That's just the way it is. I go, but we can choose the kind of prisoners that we are going to be. So we in this organisation are not going to be prisoners of despair or murmuring or grumbling or complaining or disappointment or disillusionment Mm. or anger or bitterness. We are going to be prisoners of hope. And then that scripture after it, it goes on to say, and I will restore to you double. So I've got all my global staff to write double over. And I said, we are believing God that during this pandemic, we're going to have double the amount of people rescued. We are going to have double the amount of traffickers go to jail. We're going to have double the amount of... Um, impacted terms. And can I tell you, Mm. here we are 15 months later and by the grace of God exceeded every goal that we had because of that posture that goes, you know what, even if, okay, we're in a fire, we're in a global shutdown, this is it. Our God is still faithful. He's still a God of miracles. Mm. I mean, you know, we're not waiting till a Red Sea parts. We're not waiting till a Jericho wall comes down. He does it while we're faced with the sea and the wall. So it was, I said to them, this is awesome. 
this faith is going to become your own. So even if we're here, there is a global pandemic and we're locked down and God's given us a mission. So God's the same. And I said, you're all about to find out that you've been running in the slipstream of Nick and my faith over the last, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, 15 years of this organization. I said, now? you get to know this faith for yourself and you're going to ride into this. You're going to discover the God of even if and the God of even when. Mm. You are going to discover like Shadrach, you know, Meshach and Abednego yourself that your fourth man is going to turn up in the fire, whatever that might look like. I don't know what that's going to look like, but you're about to find out. And then just to see this maturing, because that's what a refining fire does. We're like more on fire than we've ever been uh, because of an, of a maturity going from a what if, because the what if happened to an even if mm. faith. So, so good. You know, that also leads me, one of the chapters that you have in here is, you know, you've drifted when you stop gathering and start isolating. Now, we yeah. just talked about that we've all been isolated and all the things, but I think there's a deeper message here that you're talking here that even goes in 2020 and everything. But I do see a trend right now, Chris, of people saying the church has hurt me. I don't need the church. I'm just going to be over here and my faith is my own and I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, very much. I see that as well. You know, that chapter agonized over it because like you, we're both so aware of so many people that have experienced so much hurt Mm -hmm. and so much abuse and so much pain. And no one is minimizing that. No one is dismissing that. No one is denying that. What I am saying though, that the worst examples of it and the fact that it has existed, never should have, but has happened and does happen, doesn't actually change the truth of the power of gathering Mm. and what that does to keep us from drifting. And the point is the writer to the Hebrews, during a time when people would be killed for gathering Mm. together, he said, do not neglect the gathering. And I mean, I took so much time in writing that going, you know, that's like a weird thing to say. Like, why would you say that when it was so costly to gather? And I really shaped it around my experience in Qatar just before the shutdown, (laughs) you know, like it was like I'd gone to Qatar and saw the great lengths that people went to gather in a country Mm. that is, you know, 99.99% Muslim, where you could only gather at a specified time in a specified place in the middle of the desert. And you have to be an immigrant to do that. We had to go through three checkpoints. And I saw what it did for people to gather. And it was so hard to gather. And it was like nothing that you could do easily and watch their faith that just made challenge my own faith, to be honest, going, oh my word, you have a depth of Jesus that I need, like a depth of faith that I need. And I just contrasted that to get, I caught the plane from Qatar straight to Houston to go and speak and, you know, passed like a thousand churches in the first three blocks and just went up and went, oh my word, just the difference of like when it's like, oh, I don't think I'll really go. Just the difference in attitude, perspective and what gathering means and what gathering achieves Mm. in our lives and in our hearts. And, you know, I mean, I think you would know this in any way, just even in the natural. If you want to target someone, I see the realm of human trafficking. Um, when a trafficker wants to target someone to traffic, they isolate them. Yep. You know, it's, yeah, it's the best way true, to yeah. you isolate someone and you can take them out. A lot easier to take them out when they're by themselves than if they're in a group of 20 people. You know, you're less likely totally. to be able to do that. I think sometimes we forget we do have an enemy of our soul mm. and he does want to take us out. We forget this stuff because we, you know, we don't, don't like to talk too much about military metaphors and we don't like to talk too much about spiritual warfare but the fact is this is a real thing i mean it's in the bible (laughs) so it's real and 
if you want to take someone out, the best way to do it is to isolate them. And I think we've seen that. We've seen a side of that through the pandemic with, you know, just such a upswing in mental health issues and loneliness and isolation, because that's what happens when you're isolated and then you start living in your own head. And my concern is without minimising the pain and the suffering people have gone through, we do live in a fallen world, systems are flawed, yeah. institutions are flawed. That does not validate anything, but it is a reality. True. Whichever way we slice it up, that is the reality yeah. that we have to be very, very careful that we don't just kind of, you know, give way to mm-hmm. the enemy and start isolating because that isolating is a sure sign of drifting. And that doesn't mean that you may not need some time out with some good people around you to help you process stuff in a really good way. Like I'm all about that. But to isolate and get in your own head or maybe your own echo chamber on social media, it's very dangerous. I think that that could have a really destructive effect. I agree. I think that's really one of the most kind of like you know, culturally relevant things that you wrote about in here as well, because I see that happening so much. And and the other one that I thought, man, this is such great timing that this is coming out in your book was where you say you stop wondering as in like questioning and you start wandering as in leaving. I wanted to say those, describe those because people can't read what I'm saying. And you said, Jesus wants us to wonder, but not wander. He wants us to wonder, to ask all the questions that come up in our hearts and minds, but not wonder away from him as we wonder. And I think that I see that so much, especially, and I don't want to overstep here, but I feel like a lot of people who have grown up in the church and maybe their anchor was not as secure as they thought it was. So they've got this anchor that is not secure. They're drifting to and fro. Then they get around people and they start to ask questions that they don't know the answers to, and then they start to wander away. I'm seeing that so much, and I love that you wrote about that. So can you talk about that a little bit, like asking questions and having those things without actually leaving your faith? Well, absolutely, because, I mean, it is astounding to me that we equate us questioning Jesus with leaving Jesus. Right, right. I don't even know how we even get there other than we just have a a strange view of God as if somehow God is intimidated by our questions when so much of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation of questions and the fact is Jesus can handle all of our questions that that's Mm -hmm. the whole deal and I've tried to be so incredibly honest in this to go you know at the end of the day there is going to be questions we all have this side of eternity that cannot be answered. Mm. And those questions can't even be answered by science or medicine or technology or philosophy or ethics. It's just like, we are finite. God is infinite. So there is this, you know, people go, well, Chris, that's just a cop out. Well, Honey, any sphere, any field, there's a lot of people that have got a lot of questions that field is not answering for them. But to go to God with your questions and your angst is not something that is going to intimidate him. It's not a sign of disrespect to him. You know, I think sometimes some people, if you come from my kind of Greek Orthodox background, you know, you're sort of taught that it's disrespectful. How dare you question God? How dare you? it's, it's, It's sort of like... So I get that. I get that when you come from that kind of very sort of formal mm-hmm. church background. that, And so you don't know what to do with it. So you suppress it. And eventually you go, listen, I just can't do this. And so you walk away because you go, if I can't ask anyone. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we can question, question, question. But I think what we start wondering away from Jesus is when we no longer truly even want an answer to our question. Mm. We just kind of go, you know, we use our question more as an excuse 
to no longer obey because the faith walk is one where you have to at some point daily in some area you're always going to have to trust god when you can't trace him so there will be elements intellectually and emotionally where we cannot trace god but i'm still going to trust him i'm still going to trust his word and i'm still going to obey his word and i think sometimes when we're just weary of trusting and obeying it's just easy to wonder w-a-n-d-e-r just away from him the only sad thing is you're not going to find ultimate peace or joy or answers in the other stuff. Mm. Look, I, I've lived long enough. I've seen cycles of people walk away and you go, ultimately, I've not yet met one in three and a half decades of following the Lord that over the course of decades has ended up in a more peaceful place, right. more happy or hope-filled or faith-filled or abundant life-filled. Now, it might seem, but should we live longer than that first year? Life is just life. And so we all ultimately have to have faith in something, but to wander away from the anchor. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have to get to the place. Honestly, it's the faith walk. I don't have an easy answer, but I am here to say there is going to be much you are not going to understand. And there are going to be many things that happen that there are no Mm -hmm. logical answers for my brain. So I have to say, Christine, either you believe, as the book of Isaiah says, that God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He is infinite. I am finite. This is something I will not know the answer to this side of eternity, but I still trust him. And I think that's the ultimate faith walk. And I'm going to go to him. And somewhere that's the faith thing that my heart in him finds a place of peace Mm. and my mind finds a place of rest, even if I don't have the answer. It's that even if. Chris, this book, How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away. I want to say to the listeners that this is not a book for someone who is, I mean, this could, I want this person to read it too, waking up and going, oh my gosh, I don't even love God anymore. Yes, this book is for them as well. But I read this book and thought, this is a book full of cautions. This is a book yeah. for me to read going, Jamie, this is when you need to know you're starting to drift when this and this and this has happened. And for me personally, I want to play offense on that. I don't want to be playing defense and wonder how that I got here. I want to be playing offense and go, you know what? I'm not going to get here because I'm going to trust God even when. I'm going to actually hunger for his word. I'm going to gather with my friends. You know, I'm going to pray and dedicate my life to that. And so thank you for these words, Chris. I love them so much. I'm glad you said that because I, you know, it's going to be the rare person that has totally drifted out that's actually, that would read it. So that I wrote it with the intention of going, hey, we all need to check our markers right now. And we all need to, because the currents, here is the deal, Jamie, the currents of the world are shifting so rapidly and it's not going to stop. Therefore, we must be paying much closer attention lest we also drift. This is like in the kingdom economy, this is not a time to play games. This is not a time to just take a very lax approach to our faith. The currents are shifting. They're not stopping. And we all, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or just a short amount of time, we must pay extra attention. Of course, you know, people go, well, Chris, you're intense. Yes, I'm extremely intense because this is extremely (laughs) serious. Our Christian faith is extremely, eternity is at stake. I'm one of those that Mm -hmm. believes this. So I'm like, we all got to pay attention right now. We've all got to pay attention. It's so true. Chris, do you remember the first thing I ever said to you when I met you? Which was about truth? At the backstage of the IF conference. (laughs) 
<laughs> Tell everyone. I Can giggle you- so much about that now because we're friends, but I had never met you and, and you got off the stage. And of course you, you are intense. You are like a powerful speaker. You are speaking truth. You were like, want people to know Jesus. And you said some like great <laughs> truthful things that I would say, and I believe all the things. And you got off the stage and I was like, man, thank you for saying the hard things. And you literally looked at me and you're like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> no, so, you know, cause you go, yeah, thank you for proclaiming the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just remember I looked at you and thought, I'm not quite sure what you think we're doing up there. Like, I'm okay. So, like, uh, listen, there's just a lot of people who get on stages and don't do that. And I had never met you before. And I'm like, I like this woman. It's hilarious. I know. We became fast friends after that. Oh because the, the thing is, we are truth tellers. We laugh mm-hmm. a lot. But yes, we. I think I've really tried to write it in a, a way that is winsome and through mm-hmm. lots of stories. Because I get the angst. I'm not denying the reality of the pain and the suffering that people are going through. And there's so much questioning. What I'm trying to say, God hasn't moved. Mm. The anchor is secure. We got to check our links. And it's just like, even when I go boating with Nick, every couple of hours, it's like, you got to check the anchor again, make sure it's uh, because the currents have shifted. So therefore you throw the anchor out the other side and check it. And what I'm trying to say to everyone is, y'all, we need to be checking our anchors constantly because Mm. the currents are shifting And if you're not, you're going to be scrolling through social media and instead of being anchored in Christ, you're going to get anchored in the next person's existential crisis and you're going to drift off with them because it's going to sound so awesome. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm, You know, Jesus, the word is secure and he holds, the anchor holds. The anchor holds. So, so good. Chris, I'd love to know what you're reading these days. I know you're an avid reader. So tell me what you're reading these days. Okay. In what realm? In Anything. Um, like, well, I'm doing, because I'm still at Wheaton, there's a lot of academic reading that I'm doing right now. So I don't know that that's going to overly thrill people. But I will tell you, I'm reading Toni Morrison from her first, like I read The Bluest mm-hmm. Eye, Sula, and I'm up to Song of Solomon. I'm going through to read them like from the beginning. Oh, I love it. That's sort of like to get my brain you know, happening because I've got so much academic reading mm-hmm. to do right now. I'm not sure that you really want me to share all of my academic reading with people, but for novels that I just love as well. So Tony Morrison now, Kristen Hanna, The Four Winds. Oh. I love Kristen Hanna books. I so love Kristen into- Hanna too. Yeah. And I have not read that one, but I can't wait. Oh no, that one is really, really awesome. So I, I love novels and I love anything Second World War-ish, Holocaust-ish. Like, yeah. you know, I did a couple of months ago, I went through in Darkness, Look for Stars, um, The Paris Library, The yeah. German Virus, Daughter of the Third Reich. I go through these things where I'm going, I'm going to read all of these. Uh-huh. And so the Toni Morrison phase is the one I'm in right now. Do you listen to books mostly or read them? Those books, which are all like novels, I listen okay, to yeah. because I have to do so much reading for college yeah. that I have to actually read those books yeah. because I'm underlining and I'm writing papers on them. So my academic reading now is all about culture and all about leadership. And I'm just finishing up. So I, I'm not going to recommend any of those unless you're <laughs> going to go to college, like they're 800 page textbooks. Um, like. I do want to know what your favorite Kristen Hanna book is. Well, you know, at this point, I have to say probably The Four Winds I really loved. Of course, when I read that, because I read that first, so then I went back. I'm just, as we're talking, I'm going through, I went back and read Fly Away and Firefly Lane Mm -hmm. and love them all. I love Fly Away, Firefly Lane, and then The Four Winds. And, you know, I just go through my phases where I read them all. Okay, but you haven't read the best one. Which is? The best one is The Great Alone. 
No, I haven't. I need you to read that next. It's The Great Alone. It's an Alaskan frontier. And then right underneath that is The Nightingale, which I think you would really like because I think it takes place in World War. I'm about to tell you right now. I did The Nightingale. Okay. I did. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chris Kane, you're the best. You are. Okay. Thanks for having me. I've loved it. You're the best. Thanks for coming on The Happy Hour. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, I always love any time I get with Chris, even if it's just on a podcast, but she is a dear friend of mine who I love and trust and believe in this message that she has right now. And so check out this book wherever you get it. In fact, you guys, you might remember at the beginning of the show, she mentioned, you know, back in 2017, she felt like people were coming at her all different ways saying, you got to speak on this or what do you think on this? And she touched on that a little bit. So I wanted to follow up with that. And so we have a video conversation with Chris and I over on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jamie Ivy, where I asked her, hey, how do you know when to speak? How do you know when to sit quiet? How do you discern when it's time to talk about a certain subject? And so Chris dives into that and gives us that answer. You're going to love it. Go to youtube.com slash Jamie Ivy. Guys, don't forget, help us build a church. Any donation matters and all of your donation goes to that church in Northern Uganda. Guys, come back on Friday. We've got Derwin Gray for another encounter episode. I hope you listened on Friday. It was a little bit of my story, plus a sweet story from a college girl here at the University of Texas, Sydney, that I hope you enjoyed as well. Friday, Derwin Gray's back, and we hear his story of how he had an encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. Today's show was edited by the team at Podshaper. The music for the show is created by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. Whole thing's produced by Lindsay Sweeney, and I am your host, Jamie Ivey, and I'm so glad you chose to spend some time with us today. I hope you get to have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you back here on Friday for my conversation with Derwin Gray. Derwin Gray.